This is Take a Bow, a show exploring anything and everything around Asian food. I'm Lo Ijun. Well, it's been a few months since you probably last heard from me. I hope you're doing well and eating well despite the pandemic, which honestly has lasted a lot longer than most of us expected it to. Now, just to manage expectations, before you think this is the start of a brand new season of Take A Bow, I am really, really sorry to disappoint you, but like many things over the pandemic, it has been severely delayed. I'm still in the midst of collecting stories and interviewing people, working around the barriers COVID-19 has brought upon us while making sure I do these stories justice. But meanwhile, I have a special two-part episode here for you all. So let's get stuck in. This episode is about refugee food. And those two words, refugee food, conjure up so many thoughts and preconceptions in all of us. Just think about it. Look within yourself. What are you thinking of right now when you hear the words refugee food? What comes to mind? If you're anything like me, you're probably thinking something along the lines of food cooked with the littlest of ingredients, with the very rudimentary cooking pots and pans made under squalid circumstances, and the food probably doesn't taste all that great. I fully admit it might seem prejudiced or not woke of me to think of refugee food in this way. But truthfully, that is what came to mind when I first started thinking about it. After all, in the past few years, we've all read news headlines of refugees getting turned away at the borders of Greece and Germany, heard stories of Rohingyas and Syrians and Myanmaris denied asylum across the world. So I guess our preconceived notions of refugee food are surely tainted by all these events. But when you go on the grounds, when you look at the lives of refugees, you share a meal with them and learn about their food, a lot of these misconceptions start to melt away. And that was what I experienced in putting together this episode. As you'll hear, I followed the story of one key organization in Malaysia that's championing refugees and changing their lives through food. It's a social enterprise called Pitcher Eats, and they partner with refugees to bring their food to the Malaysian public. I spoke with their CEO, Kim Lim, and cooked with Nisrin, a Syrian refugee who's now in Malaysia. Working on this episode really widened my perspective and checked my biases about refugee food. I know there's a lot of political debate and ideology about refugees and how they should be treated by the government and by people. And the situation is very, very different depending on where you are in the world. But my hope is that this episode can shine a light on at least just one refugee story in Malaysia. Admittedly, it doesn't paint a full picture of the refugee crisis around the world, and not even a full picture in Malaysia, but it's a brushstroke, a part of the painting of what refugees go through, understood through the medium many of us can connect with, the medium of food. So I hope listening to this will make you think a little differently, a little deeper about the food of refugees. Just before we begin, I'd like to thank Project Dialogue for supporting this episode. Project Dialogue is an organization that seeks to foster better understanding between and beyond the different ethnic, cultural, and ideological groups in Malaysia. 
They actually picked Take A Bow as a grantee for the Diverse Voices Media Grant, and so really, this episode would not be possible without their support. So many thanks to Project Dialog for this, and on a personal note, I'm also really grateful to them for getting me one step closer to making my podcast pipe dream a reality. Anyway, enough waffling from me, let's get on with the episode. Now this episode is very much centered around Pitcher Eats and what they do. So to start us off, to understand a little more about refugees, I talked to the person leading Pitcher Eats, Lim Yuet Kim, better known as just Kim. Hi, my name is Kim and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Pitcher Eats. We're a food business rebuilding lives of refugees in Malaysia. Uh, we started this whole venture since 2016 and since then we've been able to partner with more than 30 chefs from seven different countries, producing more than 200,000 over meals to customers living in Malaysia. Pitcher Eats works with refugees to bring their food to the wider Malaysian market. Essentially, these refugees will cook meals in their home kitchen, then Kim and the Pitcher Eats team will find people interested in buying and ordering these foods, sometimes even holding pop-up stalls or catering for large corporations and events, giving the refugee home cooks access to a far larger market than one they could find on their own. In just four years, Pitcher Eats and the refugees have managed to sell over 200,000 meals and provided over 2 million ringgit or around 500,000 US dollars in income back to these refugee families. But before we actually tell the story of Pitcher Eats, let's step back a bit and talk about arguably the more important people in this story, the refugees themselves. Now you might be wondering just how many refugees are there in Malaysia or even in the world? Well, according to a report by the United Nations in 2019, there were approximately 26 million refugees in the world. In Malaysia alone, there are close to 180,000 of them. So for every 200 people in Malaysia, one is a refugee. Here's Kim giving us a further breakdown. We have 180,000 registered refugees in Malaysia, and we do have between 30 to 50,000 that are kids. Uh, so majority, uh, Myanmar is 90%, but we have refugees coming all the way from Middle East and uh, North Africa as well, like the Sudan and Somali side. Um, and then you also have like refugees from Sri Lanka, Nepal as well. Uh, a lot of times refugees become refugee because of what they have to face back in their country, like war, persecution, their lives being endangered, some of them being on the hit list. So uh, they have to escape. And uh, Malaysia oftentimes became like their top of the list because Malaysia is also like a Muslim country. So a lot of Muslims would escape to this country to seek refuge. While this might sound like refugees have the luxury of choice in picking their destination for asylum, the reality is their choices are severely limited. All they're really looking for is someplace safe, someplace they can live without fear. The, the end goal is not to get to a country. The end goal was to be safe. That's the end goal. So in Myanmar, a lot of them are being persecuted. You have people going into their village to burn the village down or like to uh, assassinate people in their village. Um, you have like people from uh, the Middle East who face war. Uh, so people are really trying to just escape from endangered situations. 
While most of us won't have many interactions with refugees in our lifetime, there are those among us who have, or perhaps will. For Kim and her co-founders, their lives were changed when they volunteered at a learning center for refugee kids back in 2012. That experience ignited a spark within them that later on became Pitcher Eats. Here's Kim giving a brief summary of Pitcher Eats' beginning. Eight years ago, myself and my two other co-founders, Suzanne and Suilin, uh, we were volunteering in the Refugee Learning Center and we realized a lot of kids were dropping out of education because they had to find part-time jobs to sustain their family. And then we realized those kids are actually from the refugee community where most of their parents cannot work in Malaysia. So uh, realizing this, we thought that, okay, let's try to do something. We came up with fundraising concerts and, and whatnot, um, but it wasn't sustainable. So we thought, okay, we have to run like a business and what can we sell? We saw that the community can actually cook. Uh, so we thought, okay, why not we sell food homemade by refugees from uh, different countries with their authentic traditional recipes to people staying in Malaysia. We went from mailboxes, selling mailboxes to doing catering service as well. Um, and then also conduct like experiences for people to understand uh, the whole plight of refugees. So that's the whole story of how we started and why we started at the first place. While this might seem like a straightforward story, it actually took years before Kim and her co-founders landed on this pretty viable idea for a social enterprise that would not only help refugees, but be there for them for the long term as well. And while there are many people and organizations aiding and fighting for refugees across the world, building safety nets and better environments for them, Pitcher Eats is doing it in a way that very few others have done. Engaging people through a medium that I think we can all naturally connect with. Food. I was really curious about this, about what drew Kim and her co-founders to the food cooked by refugees. So I asked her about it. Were there any particular experience um, that really changed your mind or opened your mind about refugees and especially the food and the cuisine that they, they have? Well, three of us are Malaysian, so naturally you're very good eater <laughs> and you enjoy food a lot um, but the first encounter that uh, got us to get into this whole situation was uh, our uh, first meal with our first chef from Myanmar we call her Ganu Ganu in Chin means mother and uh, her meal was just very simple it was just turmeric chicken with rice and corn salad um, and there were like fish and there were like soup and things like this. Very, very simple meal, but to us it was a lot of warmth and a lot of humility and a lot of um, love to serve us. That's all. And then after that, we were venturing into chefs from Syria. Uh, we met one mother who is from Syria and she makes like the best biryani at the time. Um, her biryani was so refined. And then we had like fatet macdus, which is eggplant stuffed with lamb. I can still remember the taste until now. Hers was like the best until like what I had to date. All these foods, turmeric chicken, fatet makdus, mohenya from Myanmar, all these dishes are so unfamiliar to the Malaysian palate. And when I heard about them from Pitcher Eats, I just wanted to try them all. And I'm happy to say that I have. But this desire to try food from other cultures, food from refugees especially, isn't really shared by many Malaysians. And Kim had a hard time with this, especially during the first year. I think first year was very hard to get uh, customers uh, because, uh, like you say, 
perception, right? People, when you say uh, food homemade by refugees, uh, the first thing is people will think like there's refugee camps in Malaysia. So mm. how did the food come out from a camp? <laughs> so uh, we had to do a lot of debunk. Uh, the first debunk was that, you know, no, there's no refugee camps in Malaysia. They actually cook from home. And uh, it comes with a proper standard that we put in and a guidelines that is based on the Ministry of Health. Uh, and we've tried to build the SOPs. And after that, it slowly get like uh, customers to understand and word of mouth to spread that, you know, uh, the food really tasted good and it's not what you thought. Yeah. Probably you approach 100 people, there'll be 10 people who trust in you and are willing to try you. And if that 10 people, you serve them rightly, then the rest is just word of mouth and, and you're just building that. But also we do have people who trusted us um, right away. Uh, people who wanted to taste food homemade by refugees from the Middle East especially um, because it's exciting, comes with ingredients that you probably have never tasted before. Uh, you have like chicken musakhan from uh, Palestine and then you have like uh, mantu and bolanis from Afghanistan. Uh, they're like fried bread and dumplings with spices that you don't really use. Yet despite the challenges in altering the public perception of refugee food, Pejaits has managed to build a community and really change the lives of these refugees they work with. To get a better idea of how this change happens and how lives can change through food, I visited one of the home cooks that Pejaits partners with, Nisrin from Syria. Uh, I am Nisrin Khatib from Syria. Uh, I have uh, two children, Luna 10 years old and Sami 3 years old. Um, me from Syria, but original in uh, Palestine. Oh, okay. uh, but uh, I stay and born in Syria and uh, learn in Syria. Uh, I, um, I am, uh, before I work in Syria, teacher, because I uh, study psychology in university. But uh, here I shift uh, with Bicha, I working with Bicha. Nisrin lives with her husband and two children in an apartment block in Ampang a busy district in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia's capital. Nisran has cooked out of her home to provide meals for Pisha Eats for the past two years now, and she was bustling around the kitchen as I entered. She has a jolly demeanour and was really welcoming and even shared some hummus and falafel with me. But before we get to the food, let's talk about Nisran for a bit. Like many refugees, Nisran's life hasn't been easy. Um, i coming here because my country... Uh have war and big problem uh, fighting and no no safety no no safety uh, I scared I coming here in Malaysia because I see the Malaysia very nice and safety and uh, the people have uh, have heart uh, so soft yeah 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 and heart and uh, I stay here in Malaysia okay and safety with the children mm. So how long have you been in Malaysia, actually? Uh, I coming here before eight years ago. Eight years ago? Yeah. And in the eight years since, most of Nesrin's family has fled their war-torn motherland. But her mum and three sisters still remain there. So the challenges of life in Syria is still very near and dear to her. I have a mother, in, mother and three sisters in Syria. Uh, three, two sisters working and one sister uh, university business. She study business now, mm. and um, 
no good, uh, no safety, um, no have internet, no have electric, no have water. Um, the life very bad, very bad there. But uh, no choice, no choice. I tell my mother coming here in Malaysia, but she say no, cannot, cannot, because I want to, she, she small sister, no, need uh, study. In coming here, so expensive. Here in Malaysia, so expensive in study. So your whole family, uh, your parents and your sister, so in Syria right now? Uh, not all. I have uh, one sister also in uh, Libya, and have one brother in uh, Germany, and uh, all family now uh, in Europe. Grandmother, grandfather, uncle, auntie have um, around. Th- 30% in Europe oh, now, okay. <laughs> yes. Before 10 years, all family in Syria. Ah. Ah, but now, no, all family out, uh, out Syria, just mother and three sisters there in oh. Syria. And though Nisrin escaped the harrowing realities of her motherland by coming to Malaysia, she faced a new set of challenges here. So you came to Malaysia eight years ago, right? Yes. And do you remember your, your first time uh, coming into the country. Tell me a bit about the, the story of that. So difficult, you know. So difficult because I no talk English. Before I no talk English. And uh, no have work. Uh, no have a friend here. No have uh, family here. Very different. Very different. There have friends, have family, have uh, same language. Here, mixed language. No, nobody, 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 no need. Uh, <laughs> one word English, one word Arabic. <laughs> yeah, so difficult, yes. So, so what was the first job that you had in Malaysia, or your first uh, work? Uh, first work in office, I buy, buy tickets from Sunway Lagoon, uh, Twin Towers, and uh, Manara Bolo, and Zuni Gara. I like this ticket and give commission for uh, for a driver. Uh, no first time, second time. I working also in the office, the immigration very hot. I catch, catch me in the jail around two weeks. Around two weeks, the UN coming, pick up me uh, out. So you were sort of caught and put into jail? Four years, before four years. Yeah, 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 before four years. I cannot forget this happened. It's so sad because after after that I cannot go to their work. I scan, I scan because no visa. I very scan. Now this speaks to the primary struggle of refugees here in Malaysia. Though they are often physically much safer in Malaysia than in their home country, they can't legally work and be employed here, which creates a whole new set of problems. That's because Malaysia isn't part of the 1951 Refugee Convention by the United Nations. I know that sounds like a mouthful, so I'll let Kim explain it. Malaysia is not part of the signatory of the 1951 UN Refugee Convention. I think this whole thing, not just Malaysia, uh, a lot of countries in Asia are not part of the convention because they don't want to sign them. Uh, the, signing them means that you have to protect the refugees, you have to give certain rights to the refugees that are staying in Malaysia. So not signing them will not allow like refugees to work legally and kids uh, from the refugee community won't be able to go for public education. 
Um, healthcare, it means that like they would be charged the foreigner price uh, if they visit any hospitals. Um, but a lot of them come to Malaysia not knowing that they actually cannot work. So sometimes they go through agents and agents will tell them a lot of good things about Malaysia. And then only when you arrive, you realize that, oh, sh- oh shit, you can't work here. Um, the, 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 the thing is UN, United Nations, the entity is actually in Malaysia. So they are somewhat protected, but not really protected. Uh, they have the UN card if they registered for it. Um, and then uh, with the UN card, you go to the hospitals, you get like a 50% discount. But still, because you're charged like the foreigner's price at the first place, it's still very high, especially for many of them who can't you know, find a proper job. Uh, they work a lot of odd jobs like washing cars, washing dishes, uh, waitressing, but a lot of time being exploited at the same time. So uh, these are the challenges that refugees have to face uh, if the country did not sign the convention. And so because of all of this, it was really difficult for Nisrin to find work. She's had to be super resourceful and take on many odd jobs. As we heard from her, she worked at a ticketing office for tourist attractions, then moved on to another office where she got arrested. She even relocated to Langkawi Island for some time just to find work, before coming back and helping her friends sell food on the side, which is how she got introduced to Pitcher Eats. And just to be clear, Nisrin and other refugees are partners at Pitcher Eats, so they're not bound to the organization by employment, which skirts around the whole issue with work. I try cooking in the home and, uh, and give the Arabic market uh, some, uh, some basbusa and capsarize uh, with chicken and I just, I try. Um, in Facebook, in the group like this, uh, I have food, I can cooking. Just uh, so it's like all like cooking out of your kitchen? And really, really, in the kitchen I work with Bicha. So what year did you start working with Pitcher and how did you find, uh, before, find them? Before two years, before two years and a half with Bicha. Some friend from Iraq now, she back the country, named Muna. Muna tell Kim have some friend need work. And I know Muna work with, uh, with Bicha before. She coming interview with me and test my food. And uh, okay, she say okay. She helped me until now, two years and a and half. And... Um, very nice. When I, I stay, I, I ask any, any question, always she can help, she can, uh, she can answer to me for everything, for me, for husband, for children, can help me for everything. Yeah, I, I say for people, which uh, are very nice, can change the life for children, for him, can give the woman strong. Bicha give, give for woman very strong. Bower, 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 bower. I feel now before, before I know feel like, like now. I feel now very strong. No need anybody, you know? Now, I don't know about you, but I got chills just listening to that. It speaks to how much power food and pitcher eats have given these refugees, especially the women. And the amount of impact that Kim and the pitcher eats team have had in the refugee community is really, really remarkable. Just to be clear, this episode is not sponsored by them in any way, and so I'm not really obliged to say nice things about them, but I was absolutely blown away by the work that they're doing. 
it's not easy work, but over the years, they've racked out so many accolades and just done such positive things for this underrepresented minority in Malaysia. And so with that, we've come to the end of this episode. I know I said there'll be talks of hummus and falafel, and there will be in part two of this two-part episode. So sorry to cut the fun short, but on the next episode, we'll be cooking with Nisrin in the kitchen, we'll get some cooking tips from her, and hear more from Kim on the future of Pitcher Eats and the future of refugee cooking. That will all be in part two, and I'll also be sharing more about the future of this podcast then. Thank you so much again for listening to Take A Bow. This podcast is hosted and produced by me, Lo Ijun. Thank you so much to Kim and Nisrin as well, who were so willing to share their stories. If you'd like to find out more about Pitcher Eats or support their cause, you can head over to their website, pitchereats.com. Many thanks to Project Dialogue as well for making this episode possible through the Diverse Voices Media Grant. And finally, thanks to Maglin Wong for designing our cover art. I hope to see you in part two of this episode, which will be happening sooner than you think. But until then, this is Jun, bowing out. <laughs>